Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. The idea that we're going to walk away from Ukraine, the idea that we're going to let NATO begin to split, is totally against the interests of the United States of America. And it is against our word we've given so since true since all the way back to Eisenhower. So it's about time we make sure that Congress come home and pass the legislation funding NATO. It's critical. What exactly would have to happen to invoke the 25th Amendment in this country? Obviously, in an ideal world, you would try to invoke the 25th Amendment, which I think is amply justified. The man is deeply mentally unstable. The cabinet should convene immediately to discuss the 25th Amendment. If he's crazy and incompetent and stupid, then we have to look at the 25th Amendment. People in the president's inner circle have brought up the 25th Amendment at least 20 times. This is 25th Amendment kind of stuff. The whisper campaign over the 25th Amendment. We're going to talk about the 25th Amendment. Let's talk about the 25th Amendment. Look at the 25th Amendment. There is the 25th Amendment. Consider the 25th Amendment. Maybe we should consider the 25th Amendment. The 25th Amendment. How likely is it that the 25th Amendment 25th Amendment 25th Amendment 25th Amendment 25th Amendment could be invoked? The 25th Amendment 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 I did my first 25th 25th 25th, 25th, 25th Amendment segment on this show about, I don't know, 30 days into this presidency. <laughs> 25th Amendment, 25th Amendment, 25th Amendment, 25th, 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 25th Amendment, the 25th Amendment, use the 25th Amendment. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 21st of February, year of our Lord, 2023. Hmm. The 25th. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? We were going to employ the 25th every two seconds during Trump's reign, but now not so much. He's totally fine. What are you talking about? Hmm. All I got to say is you can't have it both ways. You can't. A lot of bad things have happened in the last couple days. You know, we start with the shooting at Kansas City, we shot these three gentlemen, shot by this nice individual that the media's not going to touch. But yeah, I didn't want to miss that. I have a lot of good stuff up front. So the Fannie Willis stuff is very interesting. I haven't touched it a lot. Um, so we're going to do a montage. I used to call it the media jerk-off segment, but I removed that because I thought it was inappropriate. So we have Tubin talking about it. That's just, that's French kiss right there. CNN, Trump might envy Putin's wishes he could murder. Jake Tapper scandals. He's not going to talk about Democrats. Kevin O'Leary, Trump's real estate controversy. Annette Censor Shale's shameful tale of Biden's brother, 
pumping cash into stuff because we're never going to cover that shit. Can I ask you a question? So what? So what if they had this relationship? Well, the question is, did they lie about it? I agree with, so what if they had it? Exactly. But but why, why does it, does this prejudice Donald Trump or any of these defendants at all? I mean, that's the thing that's so baffling about all this. Suppose they had this relationship. Suppose they lied. Why does that disqualify them in in this in this proceeding? Well, I mean, yes, maybe, maybe the court. It's an attorney lying to the maybe court it's, is, it's, is it's, not good. Uh, a reason that she should be voted out of yeah. office. That's a legitimate thing. But but there is no prejudice against Donald but, Trump. But just the details, Jessica. Did did it, it is so incredibly ridiculous, bone chilling, but not surprising because clearly everything that you just played tells us what Alice just said as well, which is not just that Donald Trump is afraid to stand up to Putin, but that he admires Putin. And let's remember, during the whole arguments of presidential immunity, Donald Trump had his legal team argue that the president of the United States could have sealed team six, go after and take out his political opponent, and, and the president would have political immunity. Who's to say that that did not inspire Vladimir Putin to, at this moment in time, kill his most ardent opponent because he says one of the most powerful politicians in the United States of America is not going to say anything against this. In fact, he's going to admire me for it. And who's to say that in secret, or maybe not so in secret, when this happened, Donald Trump didn't say, you go, bro. I wish I could do that here. And we need to do everything in our power to make sure that he does not get, Donald Trump does not get anywhere near the Oval Office because it has everything to do with the future of our democracy as well. Trump said the penalty against him would drive other businesses out of New York. Will appeal, will be successful, I think, because frankly, if we're not successful, New York State is gone. But the state's attorney general told us she's not worried. And last I checked, tourism is up and Wall Street is doing just fine. Even with an impending appeal, Trump must either put all $355 million in escrow with the quarter post a portion of it as a bond with interest. And David, tonight the attorney general is telling us she is determined to make Trump pay, even if it means seizing this building or others long. But when he actually got to work at the State House, Sanford found his passion for cutting budgets had also made him some enemies. Mark Sanford, he's a Republican. The legislature for years has been controlled by Republicans, so they're all in the same party. And ostensibly from the outside, you would think, oh, okay, well, these guys are all going to get together and get a lot of things done. That's not really what happened when Mark Sanford was in the governor's mansion. Instead, Mark Sanford leaned further into character and started slashing his fellow Republicans' budgets with a vengeance. I mean, one year he vetoed the entire budget. I mean, just sent the entire budget back. We never got to a budget cycle where there weren't dozens of of budget vetoes. There was no Democrat versus Republican. It was, you know, us versus Mark Sanford. So he would send hundreds of vetoes back, and we would just get together and all override them because it was Mark. During one particularly volatile session in 2004, Sanford kept vetoing budgets, and the legislature overrode. 105 of those vetoes in 90 minutes. This is a Republican legislature. A Republican legislature. Uh-huh. And that's, I mean, that's how bad this was. He ran on some things that were uniquely important to black people. 
healthcare for kids is a good idea. When he said free rides for seniors on public transportation, that resonated with black people specifically. Lagoyevich became governor in 2003. Congratulations, Governor. May Thank God you. bless you. How do you view your, your time as governor apart from the scandals? How do I say this in a way where I don't sound like a guy without any humility? But I truly believe I was a great governor. I can't think of any governor in my life that did anything for anybody I knew that can walk around and say, you know what, thank you, governor. My daughter had health care through you. Free public transportation for seniors and the disabled. I did that because they raised the sales tax, which hurts working people and poor people and seniors. With the legislature raising taxes that hit lower income Illinoisans hardest and Rod striking back with policies to offset that, it's no surprise that his populist agenda made him a lot of enemies amongst the big political families. To the people and the masses he was on our team, and to the aristocracy, and to the political elites, he was this guy that was taking their reach. Well, let's bring in the chairman of O'Leary Ventures, Shark Tank Judge Kevin O'Leary. Kevin, so good to see you this evening. I mean, let me just jump right in here. Last time you and I spoke about the possibility of what the fine could be in this case, we now know what it is. It's more than 350 million bucks. That's a huge financial hit. And I'm, I'm wondering, where is he gonna get this money? Actually, it's closer to half a billion with a 9% interest, assuming True. it'll take 18 to two years to actually settle this in an appeal, which I think it should be appealed. Um, he'll work hard to raise it. I think he can do it. But I, what I, I don't think this case is about Trump anymore at all because you heard the governor of New York come out yesterday and say, look, everybody, uh, don't be scared about doing business in New York uh, because the only people we prosecute are people like Donald Trump who don't behave well. That didn't go over very well with the investment community because we're all asking each other, who's next? This was a victimless crime. Nobody lost any money. And a judge out of nowhere put on a $355 million penalty. I mean, who's next? So if you well, think Kevin, about before the Before I don't want to cut you off, but I hear about the, the so-called victimless crimes, but the laws on the books, falsification of business records in second degree, issuing false financial statements, insurance fraud, conspiracy, and all these different aspects of it, those are actual crimes. I take it your point is that these should not have been prosecuted? Well, my point is there's never been a case like this in 75 years. Everything you just listed off is done by every real estate developer everywhere on earth in every city. This has never, ever been prosecuted. But here's the real point that people in New York should concern themselves with. You can put your money anywhere. I'm a real estate developer. Do you think there's a chance I would ever take a chance on New York again? New York is turning itself into a flyover state. I have to build data centers now. I'm not going to go to New York. New York has power. It's got fiber optics. It's got Niagara Falls. But no, we're not even thinking about it. We're going to places that have the exact same thing where we have rational governors that have never done this to investors. This is about New York and its people. If I were in New York today and I was living there, I would ask myself, maybe we should hire better management. Why is this happening to us? Why are we becoming a flyover state? Why are well, investors Kevin, concerned about putting their money there? But shouldn't you ask, that, shouldn't, wouldn't those people also be saying, first of all, 
I do wonder how many people take issue with the idea that every investor is engaged in falsifying business records, that every investor is engaged in what has been accused of Donald Trump and the Trump Organization, because there's probably a lot who are saying to themselves, I've never falsified my business records. I know what a square foot looks like. I know what, what I can ask for and what I have the money to support. So I, I wonder to what extent that really is true. But on the second point, wouldn't there be many companies who would not want to do business or loan money to people like yourself or investors if they know that they can get away with fraud and there's no recourse to protect them? Excuse me, what fraud? I don't, I, this is not about Trump anymore. When you I know. get a developer, when you get a developer that builds a building and he says it's worth $400 million and he wants to borrow $200 million from a bank, which happens every day, everywhere on earth, including every American city, every developer is an entrepreneur. They shine the light on their building and they say it's worth four hundred. The bank does its own due diligence, as was done in this case, because they're very good at it, the banks are very good, and they say, no, it's worth $300. we are only going to loan you $150 million. That haggling has gone on for decades. That's how it works. And then, in this case, even, the bank that was supposedly defrauded testified and said, we didn't lose anything. We want to do business with this guy again. We'd like to. But the judge said, no, 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 no. Let's penalize this developer for $355 million. And we're going to do that. Let's penalize all the developers, all across America, they've all done the same thing. All of them should go to jail and we should stop building buildings. That's what the message is from New York. Even the governor herself is concerned about what this looks like to investors all around the world. It's not just U.S. domestic. All well, around the world, people are talking about what happened here. You really think people want to invest money in New York after this? How about we go well, somewhere I, I else? Think how, I think there are to... people who would, I don't want to cut you off, but I, I want to converse well, with you, you instead. you just did. I, it's, it's only because I want you're, to have a conversation, you know Kevin, as opposed you, to just you, having you tell me. I respect you because you're a lawyer. You're a lawyer. You understand well, exactly what I'm talking about. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm respectable for a number of reasons, Kevin O'Leary, but being a, a lawyer is one of those issues. But the hospital corporation was called AmeriCorps. It was a chain of rural hospitals. It went bankrupt. Now it's being uh, investigated for alleged fraud. It's got uh, lawsuits that are facing it. Uh, Jim Biden had no experience running hospitals, but he had the cachet of the Biden name and access to his brother in an email that was obtained by and described by Politico. It says this. This would be a perfect platform to expose my brother's team to your protocol, Jim Biden wrote to the CEO of a Tampa area company that controlled licensing rights to an experimental cancer treatment the hospital operator wanted to offer. Could provide a great opportunity for some real exposure. To, to what extent, Byron, was the cachet of Joe Biden advantageous to his brother in this venture? What was going on here is there, there was someone who told Politico uh, that in Jim Biden's efforts uh, to get in with this hospital uh, company and make a lot of money, uh, there was a discussion of giving Joe Biden an equity stake in this. Did mm. not happen. Whole company went bankrupt and is under investigation. Uh, but that was part of the discussions. Apparently, uh, Jim Biden got a check for $200,000 from his AmeriCorps yeah. uh, Association. That same day, he wrote a check to Joe Biden for, quote, loan repayment. Now, does that indicate that Joe Biden got a slice of the pie, or does it just simply indicate that Jim Biden was suddenly flush with cash and could write the check? 
Well, it's very suggestive, and we haven't really heard any details about this in that Politico story. They asked the White House, can you tell us something about this loan that was being mm -hmm. repaid? And they were told... Yeah, that's a lot to digest. What What is wrong with these people? CBS! Oh, come on, you. Let's do it. Let's start working. We're, we're working. There we go. Catholic uh, Church Catholic Church declining because it's not LGBTQ affirming and surrogacy supporting Boston Catholic Parish see decline in memberships and they did we're so proud of our young adult caucus co-chair Madeline Marlett response to this Milwaukee Journal Sentinel article we stand against trans exclusion and discrimination I firmly believe that I would let's see is there volume no, there's no volume of this. I firmly believe that I was created trans. I don't see embracing my transness as a rejection. What God gave me, I see as this is how God created me, and this is my unique journey that I get to go on. Here is an outtake from it. The Cathedral of the Holy Cross is the largest Roman Catholic church in Boston. It fits nearly 1,500 people, but the pews are emptier than ever. The question is, why? And will people come back to church? For centuries, Catholic churches have been the beating heart of Boston. Places defined quiet to form community. No more. I have distinct memories of, you know, being four or five years old, um, praying each night before going to bed, you know, what if my life was slightly different? Madeline Marlett is a trans woman, homeschooled as a child with conservative Catholic curriculum. To be LGBT meant you were ill or disordered. Welcome everyone. Still, she remained devoted to the church, leading Catholic LGBT youth at Dignity Boston. But not everyone stayed committed to the religion that raised them. I grew up in Boston and grew up Catholic. Kate Weldon is the executive director of Resolve New England, a resource for families facing infertility like she did. It is or should be there for you at the best times of your life and the hardest times of your life. Kate and her family considered surrogacy. Then, thanks to in vitro fertilization, she was blessed with Sophie. How could my church not be happy for us? Kate is referring to recent comments from the progressive Pope Francis, who recently called surrogacy despicable, demanding a global ban, and went on to say that marriage is the union between a man and a woman, despite allowing priests to bless same-sex marriage. He's changing things, but is it enough? The empty pews in many Catholic churches might suggest it's not. Right now, 30% of Boston adults identify as Catholic, that number is down 20% since 2000 across the U.S. In Boston, maybe you know 40% due to various things, uh, particularly the sex abuse scandal, COVID hit, anger at statements from the Vatican. Statements ostracizing Catholics who call church home. The CDC says nearly 20% of women experience infertility issues, and in Boston, more than 8% of adults identify as LGBT+. How do you get what is potentially such a large population of people back in to the Catholic Church, or does the Catholic Church not want them back? Yes, the Church would love everyone to be back. The very idea that everyone will come back and that the churches will be crowded is not going to happen. 
Francis Clooney is a Harvard professor of divinity and comparative theology and a Jesuit priest in Boston. Do you struggle at times with being a Catholic priest? I've been a priest for 45 years now, and I think it's a great blessing. But I think, like every other intelligent Catholic, there would be things that the church stands for and the things the church says that I, in fact, am not happy with. Professor Clooney admits Boston is growing apart from its conservative Catholic roots. It's actually good that the church has some standards and some values. If the church simply said we agree with everything the larger culture says, I think that would be a mistake because there are a lot of problems with American culture. It's around Valentine's Day here. You're saying standards, but I mean, is that such a high standard to celebrate love? What I meant to say was that there should be serious listening to the church and then do the best you can living out the faith, even if that means living it in a way that may not be acceptable to everybody in the church. The Boston Archdiocese declined to sit down with WBZ, but wrote a statement reading in part, the Archdiocese of Boston professes and believes the teachings of the church as instructed by Pope Francis. In the meantime, hopeful Catholics like Madeline will continue to cheer for the church she loves and wait for it to love her back. It does cause pain. People will continue to feel left out and excluded, but in this moment now, um, it is our church. The Catholic Church continues to exclude women from the priesthood, but the Archdiocese of Boston tells me they are working on recruiting young men interested in the role in hopes of bringing in new faces to the Catholic Church. In Boston, Laura Hayfley, WBZ News. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's really freaking nice. And then, of course, there's Meathead. So Meathead is going to do another one of those. I'm going to do a couple more of these before we move on because um, I'm going to take a break and then come back to so have a therapy session. Representative Jim Bank warns ad agencies on NewsGuard role in military recruitment. So NewsGuard, a biased organization, is doing it. Suddenly, Politico discovers D.C.'s ugliest protest trend when Blinken's the target. Bloody Blinken. And, you know, it, that would be front page news. Pathetic New York Times front page decries GOP bigoted attacks demand apology to Dems. I, I just think that's fucking hilarious. Just fucking hilarious. Uh, we're going to go through this when we come back. New York Magazine financial advice columnist scammed out of 50K. I think that's just way so fucking cool and then here is a another biden rhode island this is while rosendez an illegal who entered our country through our open border he was arrested this week for beating a one-year-old child to death in 2014 a democratic governor made rhode island a sanctuary state biden's open borders allowing dangerous criminals to roam our country bringing crime and terrorism terrorizing our cities and we could post that every fucking week because it is just what it is. This is what we have. So, gonna play the meathead, gonna take a break. I'll be back in about an hour and we'll finish this podcast. What made you decide to go all in on a project focused on Christian nationalism? Because it doesn't really reflect Christianity from what I understand. I mean, I. I went through a very tough time in my life 
uh, many years ago, and I read uh, about uh, Christianity. I, I, you know, I was raised as a secular Jew. I'm not. There was no religion in my household. Uh, but I, I started reading about Christianity, about Buddhism, about uh, Islamic religion, and I came away with understanding the real teachings of Jesus were about loving thy neighbor, doing unto others as you would have them done to, to you. And those are the things I, I, I latched onto, and they meant something to me. And when I saw this movement, it started, you know, in the 50s, but it really took hold in the 80s after Roe v. Wade uh, uh, became the law of the land. And Norman Lear had people for the American way. And I started to see that there was a movement afoot that had nothing to do with what I understood to be the teachings of Jesus. And it was a pure political movement for just for power. And I got a, a book was sent to me called The Power Worshippers by Catherine Stewart. And I said, wow, this could be a real great documentary to show that there is a difference between uh, the, the, the precepts of Christianity and Christian nationalism, which is a pure political movement. And so I, I approached Dan, who I think is a great filmmaker and a great documentarian, and I asked if he would uh, help me with this documentary, and, he, and luckily he said yes. And we have to tell you very upfront that this does not bash Christianity in any way. It does the opposite. We try to uh, uh, laud Christianity for what it has done, and we have some of the most conservative, the most devout Christian leaders in the country talking about Christ, uh, Christian national not only as a danger to democracy. Our next segment would be something that I would usually put inside woke, but I'm putting it up front because it's just freaking par for the course. Our professor does a study, finds out everything they say is wrong. He gets attacked. I collected a lot of data. We collected millions of observations on uh, everyday use of force that wasn't lethal. We collected thousands of observations on lethal force. And, and it, it was in this moment in 2016 that I realized people lose their minds when they don't like the result. And so what my paper showed, you'll see tomorrow, uh, like some of you, uh, was that yes, we saw some bias in the low level uses of force every day pushing up against cars and things like that. People tend to like that result. But we didn't find any um, uh, racial bias in police shootings. Now. That was really surprising to me because I expected to see it. The little known fact is I had eight full-time RAs that it took to do this over nearly a year. When I found this surprising result, I hired eight fresh ones and redid it to make sure. They came up with the same exact answer and I thought it was robust and then I went to go give it and my God, all hell broke loose. It was a 104 page dense academic economics paper with a 150-page appendix, okay? It was posted for four minutes when I got my first email. This is full of shit. Doesn't make any sense. And I wrote back, how'd you read it that fast? That's amazing. You are a genius. And I had colleagues take me into to the side and say, don't publish this. You'll ruin your career. Mm. I said, what are you talking about? I said, what's wrong with it? Do you believe the first part? 
Yes. Do you believe the second part? Well, it's the issue is they just don't fit together. We like the first one, but you should publish the, note, the second one another time. I said, let me ask this. If the second part about the police shootings, this is a literal conversation. I said to them, if the second part um, showed bias, do you think I would, should publish it then? And they said, yeah, then it would make sense. And I said, I guarantee you I'll publish it. We'll see what happens. So it was, it was you know, I, I lived under, under um, police protection for about 30 or 40 days. I had a seven-day-old daughter at the time. I remember going and shopping for it because, you know, when you have a newborn, you think you have enough diapers. You don't. So I, I was going to the grocery store to get diapers with the armed guard. It was crazy. It was really, truly crazy. It always turns out that way, doesn't it? We do studies, we find out that, hey, everything you said is wrong, but then they get pissed because he didn't fit within the liberal intersectionality crosshairs, which is totally brought out by The View. Here are two sound bites. I got to do it. These idiots, goddamn. Because I know history, and Putin will not stop at Ukraine no. if they don't. If Putin's we don't getting, help them. Putin's getting paranoid, and, 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 and Trump is saying that he's going to pull out of NATO. These are allies. They, we were all in this together in World War II, and now he's going to pull out of this. I want to disagree with you, actually. And I, I, I say that because normally my gut would tell me it's good for democracy. I caveat that with if we did not know these two men as well as we do it would be more important for them to be debating. The problem is, for the reasons you just spelled out, Donald Trump comes on and without, I wish they'd put him in phone booths and cut mics after a certain amount of time because in addition to the fact-checking, fact he over-talks, gaslights, and everything else. So the, oftentimes the comparison to Donald Trump makes anyone look less than on some level. You know, like, I know he looks crazy too, but remember how he'd like come behind Hillary when she was like, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. he was like always hovering. hovering. He has these like nonverbal cues that could lead some to believe, oh, he's so strong or he's this, but he just blows the whole thing out of the water. And if he hasn't debated anyone yet, the only debate I would like to see is him and Nikki Haley. If he would debate Nikki Haley, I would support that. I don't think Biden needs to since Donald Trump has done nothing to participate in this democracy since he lost. We know who Donald Trump is. I don't think you give him that type of platform. But I also, if, if Biden flubs, yeah. They'll go, be all over him. If Trump flops, he doesn't well, show who up, cares? be all over him. But here's the thing. A lot has happened since 2020. January 6th hadn't happened. Donald Trump needs to have to stand next to Joe Biden, and Joe Biden needs to call him out on the unfitness, because the reality is we but all at this lies. table. You know? I was say he had nothing to do with it. At this table, we all know who Donald Trump is. Nearly 80 million people voted for him. They need to see the juxtaposition of the two yeah, years. Yeah, This is an election where there are a lot of political, the most politically homeless Republicans you've probably ever seen in modern history. People like me who cannot vote for Donald Trump, but they still want to hear answers on policy. But so he, we need Biden to, can lose, and he can lose in a debate. Trump will not. The people supporting Trump will support him whether he's there or not. But that's Biden his. Makes and since it's an election season, we are guaranteed that we're going to have so much goddamn gaslighting. It's not even funny. So here's a montage of gaslighting. Number one, the economy's great. Number two, 
Joe Scarborough, Kansas City Super Bowl shooting is, of course, GOP's fault. Number three, we're not going to talk about the Michigan elector scandal because we're not going to talk about how they're trying to rig every election. The real story about the U.S. economy. Nobel Prize winner Paul Krugman lays out the dollars and cents for why Americans are wrong to feel so down about it. How's the economy doing? Well, there's the difference between how it looks and how it feels. Right. Actually, the economy's doing okay right now. If you actually take a step back, the U.S. economy is strong. The economy, by all objective measures, is doing pretty damn well. The economy has actually been incredibly strong. The Biden economy is great. Yes. How does it look? Uh, honestly, pretty damn fantastic. But will voters give President Biden credit for it? The question for Biden is, will voters give him credit? When we report on how great the economy is doing, what do you, do you feel that? Why aren't voters giving President Biden credit? Americans don't seem to be giving him the credit. Why is that and what does he have to do to turn that around? If people aren't paying attention to it, then it's very hard to go out and take credit. Voters don't like understand essentially or grasp that he's had these legislative wins. Most voters don't understand what you're trying to tell them. Are we going to get to the point where facts do not matter? And for the, the economy example, people are gonna feel the way that aligns with their political party. Republicans are never going to say the economy is good historically while there's a Democrat in office. If you ask them about the economy, they start looking at it through these partisan lenses and they tell themselves stories that are completely at odds with their reality. Nobody wants to give Joe Biden credit for what is really a remarkable situation with the economy. Why don't people give him credit? Well, I don't know. That's the American psyche right now. We're, we're in a bad sort of mood. Do you think there's an element you know, people just like this is something that is so familiar in the United States of America. There's massive amounts of debates about why there's so much gun violence in this country. And a lot of that has to do with politics. But the numbers, they do not lie. This is part of who we are as Americans. So far this year, according to the Gun Violence Archive, there have been 49 mass shootings in this country. They have oh been God. tracking those. And since 2014, there have been over 4,700 mass shootings in this country alone. Mika? We're a month and a half into the new year. We really are. NBC's Ellison Barber, thank you very much uh, for your reporting this morning. And on guns. Yeah. That is who we are as a nation right yeah. now, sadly. But that's a choice. Great point. It's a choice. It is There's a been choice. a proliferation of, of, of weapons, uh, dangerous weapons. Uh, we don't know what, what kind were used yesterday, uh, but we, we've seen this plur, pro, proliferation of guns. And actually, it's gotten, as far as shootings go, twice as bad uh, with guns as, uh, as when you, you look at the, the rise since Sandy Hook. Yeah. Which was supposed to be this moment. Supposed to be the breaking point. Well, the breaking point when sanity returned to this debate. It still hasn't returned to the debate. But listen, 90% of Americans support background checks. The overwhelming majority of Americans, about 80%, support red flag laws. Uh, there's so many people uh, that, that, that are fighting against these radical gun laws that are trying to make it easier for crazy people to get guns for people under 21 to get guns, for even people under 18 to get guns. They, they want a proliferation of these guns all over the place. And uh, it, it's led to a far more deadly, deadly situation in places like Kansas City, especially in places like Washington, D.C., the West Coast. I mean, it, it, we have to have a return to, to, to some sane 
gun safety laws that the overwhelming majority of Americans support. And I think this will be one of the key election issues. This, along with abortion, along with immigration, which are issues now. And Garrett, President Biden also faces a new hurdle in Michigan related to next week's Democratic primary. What can you tell us? That's right, Lester. A movement among the state's sizable Arab American population, including progressive Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, to vote uncommitted in that primary as a protest vote against the Biden administration, support for Israel and their actions in Gaza. It could be a major warning sign for November. Lester? But every once in a while, they slip up. So we have this soundbite by CBS that, to be quite honest, is going to be very prevalent. You're going to see this a lot going forward. But I think they're starting to understand that we got a problem with Biden. And I bet we start seeing some action on it. The question the Biden administration keeps pretending only to hear. Can Biden do the job of president? But that's not the question of the 2024 campaign. What I think we're seeing is that he is not up for this. And my panel is back with me now. Jeff, these are, I want to say the whispers, but when you talk to Democrats, they are, some of them are yelling that very loudly. It's not the whispers you hear privately and behind the scenes. So this is outside chatter here. And they basically say, Democrats are going to have to sort of suck it up and deal with it. He is going to be the nominee. And once there is a choice, they believe people will come around. That might be true to a point. But the piece that uh, that Ezra was talking about, he believes it should go to the convention, throw it open to the wild, and sort of see what happens. Because conventions historically are about fighting for the nomination. Uh, there was a big discussion among a lot of strategists and uh, Democrats over the weekend. How dangerous is that? Is it more or less than this? I would be stunned if that would happen, but you have to leave open your mind to the possibility since so many people are talking about it. We know that President Biden will read a column like this. He takes very seriously what uh, these kinds of pundits say. The journalists that he will have off the records with, those tend to be columnists mm-hmm. and these kinds of thinkers. I mean, what Ezra was saying in his column is that basically it isn't too late, uh, that people can convince President Biden to basically accept that he isn't going to be the nominee or sort of move aside and then do the crazy thing of going to the convention and whether it be uh, Vice President Kamala Harris or somebody else, but there is room and talent within the party for somebody else to be the nominee. It is, of course, really late, and that would be a wild political scenario. I think the issue is that there are plenty of Democrats who believe other Democrats can do the job, but it is still sort of the quiet part. I guarantee they're going to dump him. I'm just, I'm just saying in a short time, they're going to have to do something because it's not working. They're not getting what they want because this guy is not fucking sentient. He has major mental problems. I saw a video the other day that was me and the wife were just shocked. We remember it, but it was a video of Biden before the election, before he went to the basement because of COVID, they said. But you could honestly see that dude literally, he had a medical emergency. And it's evident in those clips. He's not well. So let's go to our the woke section. We're going to start up because it's election time. It's all about abortion. Whether Joe Biden believes this madness or is simply too weak to resist it, 
his administration has been completely hijacked by the radical left. The dividing line in America is no longer between right or left. The choice is between normal or crazy. That's right, the bar has been moved again. From now on in Alabama, life begins when a man notices his first cousin is hot. <laughs> Just to clarify what's happening here, tens of thousands of women have children using IVF every year. And since it's not possible to do that without creating some excess embryos, the state of Alabama has now ruled that starting a family is basically murder. You know, pro-life. <laughs> And the way this ruling happened is so crazy. This wasn't even intentional. They just dropped a test tube. You know, back in my day, we had something called the five-second rule, and it was sacred. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but it's just weird to say that frozen embryos are legally the same as children. Last time I checked, you're not allowed to store kids in the freezer. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have checked, and now I'm on some kind of CPS watch list. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, embryos are extremely precious to potential parents, but technically they're just jizz and eggs. <laughs> that's not a child, that's an appetizer at a very often. And different clinics will have arrangements with all of the potential parents where they make it clear at a certain time, you have to tell us what you want us to do, but also that varies from person to person. So I do think that you're raising a good issue in how we think about kind of the future of embryos. But by the way, that's not a new conversation. Yeah, exactly. And that's one that should not get confused with what's at issue here, that they are defining an extra uterine embryo, mm. embryo as, an, as, a, as a living creature. And that's just simply not the fact. They're what, embryos. What is the likelihood this is gonna spread to other more conservative states? And, and then also how it's gonna affect healthcare workers? Yeah, I'll speak to the latter. I think that the effect on healthcare workers, especially reproductive endocrinologists or OBGYNs is devastating because everybody's anticipating this will come to their state, Texas, a number of other states that have incredibly conservative laws on the books. To be clear, you set it up in the right context. This came out of kind of a wrongful death lawsuit, if you will. So it wasn't exactly this reproductive rights issue, but you could easily see this becoming a reproductive rights issue. And what I worry about is just Yasmin, look, these, these technologies are a miracle. The ability to have children, a number of us have gone through these processes and we have children as a result of them. Can you imagine stopping that ability, the irony to stop that ability for people to become parents because there's a potential that an embryo could be seen, yeah. an extra uterine embryo could be seen as a living person. That's those, those two worlds colliding are, um, you know. Welcome back. The Alabama Supreme Court ruled that a hospital patient who mistakenly dropped and destroyed someone else's fertilized embryos can be sued under the state constitution's wrongful death of a minor act. It's certainly lawsuit worthy given the cost and the emotional investment of in vitro fertilization, but does it reach the level of wrongful death? I don't even know how to start with yes. this. You know, I, I have a personal story about this, as you all know. I went through five miscarriages before we turned to IVF. We went through three cycles of IVF. I have two beautiful children. Uh, as a result of it, we depleted our entire life savings. 
Uh, each cycle was not covered at the time. Mm -hmm. It's thirty thousand mm -hmm. dollars, and um, it was important enough for us. Now we did do frozen embryos, mm -hmm. um, but because we are Catholic, we knew that we couldn't destroy the embryos mm -hmm. because they are, in our view, children. Mm -hmm. um, and we couldn't just give them up for research because, in our view, they were children. Mm -hmm. And so we were. I feel responsible in the sense that we used every single embryo and if every single embryo became a child then we were going to take care of that child mm -hmm. and we don't have any frozen embryos left thank right. God right um, because I would probably have a baby an so, extra so, baby so and is that uh -huh. your religious is it because religious. of your religious beliefs my religious beliefs are that um, no, Conception is the start of, of human right. life. However, right. when you look at an embryo, mm -hmm. I mean, that certainly is more than just an egg and a sperm separated. Mm -hmm. They wait several days. Ideal transfer is five days. Mm -hmm. You're transferring a human embryo mm -hmm. that is going to attach in, in your uterine lining right. and become a child. Okay. So that's but this is based on your religious yes. belief. Well, These are your religious is, convictions. It is, it is partially based on it, but it's partially based on science as well. Well, and, but it's one but thing. But if you put that little embryo not, out into the world, it's not viable on any on any level. So I'm, I'm not criticizing your personal beliefs because mm -hmm. I do believe people believe that. Mm -hmm. I believe this is a stretch to call this a minor because it, this we talk about the to viability of an actual you mean baby. A, you mean a the baby. embryo? No, oh, minor, they're calling in a minor. minor. Oh. We're calling it a full-blown minor, not an embryo, not a fetus, not... Well, it's an unborn child. It, well, I, see, I, that's where I but, differ, because the, the whole miracle of life and religious argument right. for the very brilliance of science... Just all right, I finished the podcast, went back to listen, and all my <laughs> voice parts didn't fucking work. So we're going we're gonna to do a round two on the end of this podcast. So uh, here is... Uh, I'm going to have to go off the pictures because I literally don't have the web pages. This is great. I love when this happens. So this lady was the one that booted that lady who was a um, 90-year-old National MS Society out. And so instead of facing the wrath, she, her, she deleted her LinkedIn, which is amazing. This is The Atlantic doing an article that... Only rich people don't have curtains. And when they don't have curtains, what they're really saying is, fuck poor people. And I want to say for the record that if I lived out in the middle of bumfuck Egypt and I didn't have neighbors, I wouldn't have fucking curtains. Here's a lady on an airplane using a CO2 monitor that doesn't work at altitude saying everything is fucked up and the entire world community noted the shit out of her because she's an idiot. Thomas Massey's next. They got the ESG stuff working, which is amazing. So let's listen to Meta say, hey, we're going to rig this election because you never know the Russians are coming. It does strike me that this is an issue, disinformation, misinformation, interference with the election that the government should be taking on. How many people do you have working on this issue? And how do you know what's enough? So we have around 40,000 people working on kind of safety and integrity on our platforms. Generally, we spend a lot of money on it. We've spent oh, about 20 billion US dollars in recent years on, on things like, like election integrity, about 5 billion in the last year 
alone. But here's the interesting point. You know, even if we imply, employ double the number of content moderators that we have, actually, here's the irony, we're talking here about the risks of AI-generated content, but AI is also actually our most powerful tool to identify and deal with the kind of content we don't want to see on our platforms. So take hate speech, for instance, the prevalence of hate speech. In other words, the percentage of hate speech as a percentage of the total of content on Facebook is now down to about 0.01%. And that's been reduced by over 50% just in the last couple of years alone for one reason only, improvements in AI technology. So I, I, you know, I think it's important for your viewers to know that, yes, of course, there are issues and concerns about how this technology is going to be used for bad purposes. It's ironically also the same technology that helps um, you know, established uh, players from making sure that their, their policies are being properly respected and enforced. Yeah, that's, that's fucking fantastic. Good shit. Good shit. Everybody says that X is super Russian, but they suspended a Russian account. So I just want to make sure we got that. A principal who literally was dressing in drag and doing stupid shit finally took forever to get suspended because we don't do that. They're the good people. You're the bad people. Which brings us to our everything is racist. Here's PBS marking uh, Black History Month with a killer of cops and a black guy saying all white people suck. Everything is racist. Are there groups today that you see as direct descendants of the Black Panther Party that can draw a direct line from them to, to, to today? Yeah, I would say, you know, my first book was about the party's genesis in Oakland. It's called Living for the City. But my second book is about the last 10 years. And it's about the Black Lives Matter movement and why they chose Asada Shakur, who was a rank-and-file Panther member from New York City. So she's not from Oakland, where the Panthers were formed. She's from New York. And she wasn't part of the traditional male leadership. And especially over the last 10 years in the fight against state violence and murder and mass incarceration, Asada has become the best known of the Panthers. And it's from a poem that she wrote in Cuba in the 1980s that so many of these movement organizations opened their meetings. So a fucking mass shooting literally just happened at the Chiefs Super Bowl victory parade. <sighs> Thank you, fucking Fox News. I wonder which fucking side of people got their whole base whipped up into a frenzy because they were mad about Taylor Swift. I have no idea who these people were that shot this thing up, but I can take a fucking wild guess. This is such fucking bullshit. This is why we need to vote these fucking MAGA people out of our fucking country. This is bullshit. It shows that there's at least... Planned Parenthood, ask your kids if they're boys or girls. Get the fuck out of here with this crazy-ass shit. So we're going to hit a nice trifecta of NBC pushing weight loss drugs on kids. Simultaneously, CBS said there's food insecurity and ask for reform. And then we have... What is this one? This one's a good one. NBC hypes if you're gender-fluid... You're a better actor. Okay.
More than 20% of 12 to 19-year-olds are considered obese. Obesity specialists say these meds, along with a healthy lifestyle, can be used preventatively to tackle excess weight before it leads to other health conditions like diabetes, heart disease, and high blood pressure. Which is why the American Academy of Pediatrics now recommends weight loss drugs be offered to those as young as 12. Dr. Amanda Velasquez is the director of obesity medicine at Cedar sinai Medical Center and a paid consultant for weight loss drug makers Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. What do you say to people who say 12 is too young to put a child on a weight loss medication? Yeah, I think that it's about education for the family because I think there's a lot of perception about using the medication about a, for really appearances. That's not what we're here to do. What we're here to do is help to your patient, a 12-year-old. A dollar today buys a third of the commodities that it bought when I was in school. There are now close to 800 food pantries on college campuses. A decade ago, there were just 80. UC Davis was one of the first to open up its pantry buried in the basement. Now the pantry is at the heart of the campus. It's not intended for those with a meal plan or who can afford groceries, but it's open to anyone with a student ID, no questions asked. Yeah, here's the deal. So Izzard has no co-stars. This is a one-person production of the famous Shakespearean play. Izzard, who uses she-her pronouns and came out as transgender in 1985, told me that being gender fluid helps her portray so many roles, male and female. And it's a challenge she's relishing. To be 23 different characters or not to be, that is the question. And Eddie Izzard's one-person show is the answer. I do believe a number of people around the world, uh, and say particularly in New York, say, this is different, we'll give you a chance. Izzard rose to fame as a comedian with quotable stand-up specials like the Emmy-winning Dress to Kill. Do you have a flag? <laughs> you may also recognize Izzard from the TV show The Riches. What's the look? Going to Panko tomorrow, I told you. Oh, Jesus, Dahlia, not tomorrow. In the movies, Ocean's 12 and 13. Danny, I like you. And you're rusty. I always wanted to be here in New York, so when I come back, it is like coming home. Now, Izzard, who uses she, her pronouns, is in the middle of doing Shakespeare's Hamlet all by herself. Though this be madness, yet there is method in it. It comes a year after a successful solo run of Charles Dickens' Great Expectations. Hamlet is, I believe, 29,551 words. I'm guessing you've shortened that a little bit, but it's still a lot of words, right? It is a lot. It's about uh, th 13 to 15,000 words. Shakespearean words. How do you memorize that? It's hard work. The mental stress of getting... We just got some brainwashing going on. So let's look at just the latest round of teachers caught fucking around with kids. This is an anti-Catholic drag queen. Adam Westbrook was arrested and facing four counts of possession of child porn and four counts of sex exploitation of child. He's with the human, direct, human resource director of Algami County, Wisconsin, and the mayor of Sheboygan. So are they into that? I'm just asking. U, UK hospitals are now saying that male breast milk, that is a woman who's taken shit to become males, is as healthy as regular breast milk yeah and now we have a principal saying hey get, by the way i'm good with exploit ex, uh, very exploit 
very sexual contact in our libraries because we're not brainwashing. We're just teach them to be fucking liberals. Mr. Jones, I believe you two have children, is that correct? Yes. What ages are they? Uh, 18, 16, and 13. And would you find it appropriate if they brought this book home where we're talking about dirty magazines and pornography in a K-5 environment? I think it would open up a conversation that we would have. So you think the book is appropriate in the K-5 environment, even though it's referenced in pornography and dirty magazines? I think in my... Um, uh, what I voted for was that it would be for the three to five um, age group. Which would be what ages? So that would be um, eight to 10, 12. So you think an eight-year-old would be appropriate age, appropriate to be reading about pornography and dirty magazines from school? Yes. Okay. I just had a follow-up question, um, Mr. Jones about the uh, FAC part where it's referring students to um, the Trevor Project, a hotline, and a website. Um, do you think it's appropriate to be handing students access to a, a therapist in that way? No. Thank you. Um, also, I assume that you have um, internet filters on at Terwilger, is that correct? To my knowledge, yes. Do you think the Trevor Project would be a, a web page students can navigate to on their own from the school computers? I don't know they'd be able to or not. Which takes us into our This Is America. We have a roundup of weekend shit, including Chuck Todd, and then the uh, interview with the FLOTUS. We're going to start. So you have three sound bites, odds and ends, and then we're going to watch some sound bites together. Which takes us into our This Is America. We have a roundup of weekend shit, including Chuck Todd, and then the uh, interview with the FLOTUS. We're going to start. So you have three sound bites, odds and ends, and then we're going to watch some sound bites together. This is America. Don't catch you slipping, though. Don't catch you slipping, though. Look what I'm whipping, though. This is America. Don't catch you slipping, though. Don't catch you slipping, though. What I'm whipping them. This is America. Part of this is the incredible distortion field where we are we are all somehow living in Donald Trump's alternate reality, right? We are talking about, well, it's a great benefit uh, to him, according to, you know, big story in the New York Times today that he's been indicted criminally, what, three times and it looks like a fourth coming up this week because we're living in this warped distortion field of a Republican primary in which Donald Trump is stampeding. It's a minority of a minority in the country. And so then you have something like the series of abortion rights referenda in the wake of the Roe versus Wade decision. And you realize Kansas, that Ohio. in this country, even in deep red states, uh, there are solid majorities that don't think, you know, uh, Donald Trump should be the president again, who defeated him in the popular vote in 2016 and in 2020, who support by actually record numbers abortion rights. And yet we live in this world where it's somehow good that Donald Trump is a criminal defendant, but somehow 
bad electorally for the president that his son is being investigated for something that, as far as we know, does not directly. If you're sitting in the White House and on the campaign right now, you're absolutely banging your head against the wall at the way that the Thursday report has been covered, given all of the things that have happened this week, including, and I know you asked Chris Christie about this, the fact that Donald Trump yesterday suggested that Vladimir Putin should have free reign in attacking NATO allies. Yeah. And what do we see when we wake up this morning? Wall-to-wall -wall coverage yeah. of whether a guy who's four years older than his opponent is too old to be president. Yeah, and we are going to get to NATO. Well, Go ahead. Part of the job to, to bring that to the front is the president's job to bring that out and attack yeah. his opponent. I mean, the president is not taking the opportunity on Super Bowl Sunday. He's not taking really any opportunities. And we hear him well, time and again. First of all, that's not true. It's not being covered. He has traveled just as much as Donald Trump, as Barack Obama. It is hard to break through the cloud of Donald Trump. You're right. Biden considered his poor approval rating a failure of the media, which someone neglected to note all the ways in which his administration was superior to Trump's. It was also a failure of his own White House to effectively communicate. He complained that there weren't enough surrogate on television defending him. I I'm shocked to find out that a White House believes they have a communications problem, not a substance problem. Right. So. I think that uh, Biden has, he, of course, every president who suffers an upside down approval rating is going to moan about the media. And I think that there is some truth to it in his case where uh, Trump um, caused the media to go so, to become so emotional, to get so engaged in covering all the high drama. And I think with the Biden administration, there's this, been this desire on the part of the press to reassert its standards of objectivity. So I think on certain measures, he's probably right. He has been covered probably tougher than he deserves, but also no I think- curve. There's no curve. He's not being graded on a curve. <laughs> no, he's not being graded. All right, this is when everything went to shit last time, so let's make sure Wait, we're I'll good. I'll, I'll take it at your word that yeah. you're ethically bothered by Hunter Yeah, Biden. we're good. All right, I'm go. curious, though. You seem are, to have are, a pattern. Are you not? Uh, I are seem to have a pattern. I, I'm a journalist. I are, oh, this is us. I deal in facts. You remember that one? That's a good one, man. I'm always worried. Let's start with that piece of shit, Navarro. What this is all about Well, do tell, baby. What this is all about is getting on Fox News. What this is all about is fanning the flames of grievance, of white grievance. What this is all about is manufacturing culture wars that do not exist. Let me do this very simple for those that might have stumbled on this podcast and you don't know. I hate the left and I hate the right, and both of them have their own echo chambers. The left has ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, WAPO, LA Times, Boston Globe, you name it, it's left. Fox News, Daily Wire, Town Hall, a few other. That's all you got. And they all try to get on there with little clickbait. That's why every one of them is doing Taylor Swift articles, for fuck's sake. But to say one side is doing one thing and the other is doing just facts? Get the fuck out of here! Uh, President Biden's allies say the fact that he's facing only token primary opposition from author Marianne Williamson and anti-vaccine activist uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. See how I preface that? Really is a show of strength for him. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's in the polling, there's still a lot of Democrats who think he should not run, but that's mostly an age issue. And I can't help. Uh... It's only an age issue, they say. Let's break something down really quick. The majority of Democrats don't want him running. A majority. He is not well. He's mentally incapable of doing the job. The guy's a Fruit Loop. Here's his speechwriter on Mojo. Uh, just because of where I'm sitting in Nashville to... Uh bring this up as well you know 14 days ago 
the children and the teachers and the adults who were murdered at the Covenant School were getting ready for school at this hour. And it's an, I, I bring it up because there are, there's the issue of reproductive health. There's the issue of... And Mar also had... I don't remember that one, but that's a good soundbite. So a lesb uh, a transgender girl kills a bunch of kids, and it's because of abortion. Really? Some criticism for the other side of the aisle, claiming the left lost the definition of the term woke. <laughs> okay. Take a look. Yeah. Democrats sometimes can take it too far, or, you know, I would, I would categorize liberal as different than woke. You know, woke, which started out as a good thing, alert to injustice, who could be against that. But it became sort of an eye roll because they love diversity except of ideas. Abraham Lincoln uh -huh. was not a controversial a figure concept. among liberals. We liked him. <laughs> now they take his name off schools and tear down his statues. Really? Lincoln isn't good enough for you? Well, that statue was not good enough because it showed a slave down at Lincoln's feet. And if we're tearing down statues uh, that are really not in tune with where we are as a nation, or at least where we were a couple of months ago, uh, yeah, you got to take it down. That's why they've removed... I think the most important political priority for any political party is to not be the people telling people what to do. For the last five years, we've heard from Republicans, especially even at, during COVID, about how freedom was going to reign and that they were just going to let people make decisions for themselves. They wanted to be the cool mom of politics. Well, that era has ended. And I think that there is a specific type of libertarianism that is very popular in America. One year from now, um, it could be over. American democracy could be over. Donald Trump, one year from now, could win. Uh, he's told us what he's going to do. Uh, so when I say American democracy is going to be over, it's, I haven't said this. Donald Trump's a guy that said it. He's the one that's talking about executing generals that are uh, not loyal enough to him. The guy that's talking about terminating the Constitution if it gets in the way of his power. He's a guy that's talking about taking off news networks that he disagrees with. He's a guy that's talking about uh, prosecuting and putting in jail people who disagree with him. He's the one saying that. So a year from now, it can all be over. The American experiment at an end, one year from now. So let me ask you, with that being the case, and with Joe Biden's poll numbers getting worse, why is the White House going around singing, don't worry, be happy? Because that's... That's all they have. That's all they have. Because their guy, Victor David Hansen, they saved this for the end. In the last week, Joe Biden had flat out lied in the most egregious fashion in so many ways. In his disastrous press conference of last week, he claimed that special counsel Hur's report exonerated him. Anyone who read the findings concluded exactly the opposite. According to Hur, Biden would have been indicted for his willfully unlawful removal of classified documents, except for two reasons. One, the Department of Justice protocols apparently prohibit indicting a sitting president. Two, Biden suffers such cognitive decline that the special counsel believes a jury would more likely show pity than find him guilty. Let's think about that for a second. That's why we had a blaze of, oh my God, he's so competent. He's the greatest ever. 
He lied that Hur brought up his son's death. How in the hell dare raise that? In fact, Biden, as, as in his serial won't, raised it. He does not on a, re- on a regular basis, usually deliberately and further lying that his son died while on military duty in Iraq. He died six years subsequently a civilian. And always contorting the death to enhance his own greater sense of grieving. He lied that he notified authorities when he discovered that the unlawfully and taken out classified documents to various residencies, perhaps over 30 plus years during his senatorial and vice president tenures. In fact, Biden only admitted that he had apparently for decades unlawfully removed classified files in 2017 to his ghostwriter in a recorded tape, and then he hid the fact and kept quiet for five years until his ad men went after Trump. He lied that files bore no classified marks. Same as Hillary, the media doesn't expound on it, but they told you everything about Trump's. He lied that he kept the files safe in a secure location. In fact, the special counsel report includes several photographs of Biden's garage in which he was sloppily stored. He lied that Trump once secured border is somehow responsible for Biden's intentionally open border. He just lied that Trump caused the 2022 Putin invasion of Ukraine. It happened on Biden's watch. And there's video evidence that he went over and fucking tampered with internal politics of Ukraine for his son to make money. It's not enough that the Biden team must wildly lie daily that the non-compost mentis president is dynamic, impressive in his recall and cognition and stand out as the most astute mind in most of his meetings. Well, apart from his cognitive decline, Biden himself is a pathological provocateur, which is what he's saying, a fucking liar. That's all he does is lie. His whole career is lie, 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 lie. So what's my point? Name a fucking politician that doesn't lie. I mean, literally, the left, the media, liberals all over the place, they always lie. That's what they do. They lie. But their lies are beautiful, insightful, great. It's better of democracy. They lie that Trump said he's going to suspend the Constitution. That's not what he said. He said exactly what Biden did, but he said it very inartfully. When I take over, I'm going to ass fuck everything and close the border and do this and do that, and I'm going to shut everything down. I'm going to be dictator for the day. That's what he said. Those are the words he said. And that's okay. Because he's a Democrat. We're fine with that. We have no problems. We don't get upset about it. We say it's okie dokie, artichokey. But at the end of the day, what the problem is, um, is that we don't have an equal amount of holding these lying liars who fucking lie to their fucking lies. We just don't. We have a, a media establishment that will defend the left at all cost. They'll lie for them. They'll not produce facts and evidence to prove that they're lying. And they do it continually. My entire adult life, the left has lied and lied and lied 
I just relived a terrible time in my life because of an argument I had. And I went through a lot of things during that. But the unequivocal thing that came up during that time period in my life was that the President of the United States was getting blowjobs in the White House and drill sergeants, officers, and everybody else is getting kicked out of the military for doing the very same thing. Not suspended, not reprimanded, chaptered the fuck out for sexual infidelity. And during that time, I made my kids watch the TV so they could see an impeachment. And the impeachment went just like we had with Trump. The House was held by Republicans. They knifed Clinton. The Senate wasn't. They didn't knife Clinton. That's the same thing that happened with Trump. But what you're told, if you're 20, 30 years old and you didn't pay attention until Trump became president, is that it's unheard of that an impeachment for high crimes and misdemeanor of doing a phone call that was eavesdropped by a partisan colonel who has shown he's nothing but a partisan. And he said he withhold funding, which is exactly what Biden did, on video as vice president, was high crimes and misdemeanors. You were told an officer was bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher. Trump told him to go burn the fucking building down even though it was happening minutes before he even ended his speech. And he was on the record saying, go protest peacefully. He caused January 6th, and he was impeached for it. But there's no proof to this day. They did an entire show trial for two years to win a midterm, and they admit to the media that it was a show trial. They were just doing what Benghazi was. What the Clinton Commission was about the what is is. I gotta, I gotta argue is is and what sex was. Trump was a lying liar that lies, a meathead, an idiot. That was already facts and evidence. Every kid in the world knew it. Clinton made an entire generation of kids think blowjob and anal sex isn't sex. How do I know? I was a drill sergeant. We had all sorts of cases of anal rape. It was insane. And when they had the interviews, well, I didn't want to have sex because sex is vaginal. So I was given Hummers in the downstairs. Little girl looked like Heidi. She was cute as shit, like 17. She was selling blowjobs every day and we didn't even know it. Another girl was giving up ass sex in the downstairs washing rooms and nobody went and checked it as drill sergeants. And her specific reason was anal sex ain't sex, even though the word sex on it. To me, the previous ruined more in America than the latter did. Trump was an idiot before he started. He's an idiot now. He'll always be a fucking idiot. He's a fucking idiot. We all know he's an idiot. Nothing will ever fucking change about Trump and his idiocy, meatheadedness, inability, inartful speaking. He says shit that is fucked up. But it's the exact same shit that other presidents do. In my lifetime alone, we watched Obama tell Russia, I will have more leeway after the election. And Biden say, I told that guy, you fire that fucking attorney generals. I'm not giving you money. That was in 2017, 2018. We didn't have a problem with that. Good to go. Or excuse me, 2015. That's okay. He's Biden. He's a good guy. Trump's a bad guy. 
The reality is, who's the bad guy? Our media. Fox is fucked up. But so is ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNN, MSNBC. So is the New York Times. New York Times fired a motherfucker for Tom Cotton who said we need to roll out the National Guard to stop the takeover of the fucking White House, which fucking happened, by the way. Less than two months later, the left secured the Pentagon everything in a green zone like Baghdad for no threats. It was all for show trial. And they rolled the National Guard out. The National Guard didn't even have housing. They slept in parking garages, and they all got COVID, which led to deaths. But the media never covered that. Nope. We talked about a dude getting bludgeoned, and he went home and died of a seizure. We talked about all these cops committing suicide were murdered. They all committed suicide. All the people that died that day were Trump supporters who died of drug overdoses, heart attacks, seizures, weird shit. We now have video evidence that they shot fucking AC, uh, um, HC and pepper gas into the crowd because they weren't getting violent enough. It's on video. They're literally saying, let's fire them up. Bam. They weren't doing anything. They needed them to do something. And Nancy Pelosi brought a film crew that day. Do the math. She's in charge of it. The Speaker of the House is in charge of security. Where is her punishment for letting a bunch of yokel weirdos in Viking suits take over the fucking freaking capital. The officer in charge, chief of police, was forced to resign because he said they ignored me. The National Guard commander was fired. Anybody that spoke out on the cabal that is the left got fucking fired. But yeah, it was Trump's fault. His speech was dumb as fuck. I, like majority of Americans, including the left, believe there's no fucking way that brain-dead fuck got 81 million votes. They stole it. They stole it through mail-in voting. And they learned mail-in voting was great because the GOP took over near North Carolina in a local election and got caught ballot harvesting. And the entire media said ballot harvesting is the shit. They reran the election so the left won it. They took it with voting machines that weren't supposed to be connected to the internet, but they were. And where was that? Oh, 20, oh, oh was it 20, 2000? Not 2000, 2004 election. The left said people can hack voting machines. They had fucking hearings saying that voting machines are the devil and can be hacked. It was the left, not the right. And then the left figured out how to do it. If you don't think both parties are trying to steal an election, you're fucking stupid. There's too much goddamn money. They got to pay back all the people to support them. And it's usually through military bids, crazy shit. For the left, it's green energy. Look at all the green energy companies that have fallen the fuck apart, but got free money from me and you to build nothing. We had a semiconductor plant in the city I live in. They pumped billions of dollars. They put new buildings in Austin P and said, we are going to fucking have all these great scientists come out. And they went bankrupt because the federal money stopped coming in. They were supposed to build semiconductors and fucking solar panels. It's a fucking Hyundai plant now. They make fucking tires. 
So if you don't think these people are all crooked as fuck, you need to stop watching CNN and MSNBC. I tell you, if you're young out there and you don't know anything about anything, and you just know that what the social media tells you, I want you to get on cable news. Monday night, watch Fox. Tuesday night, watch CNN. Wednesday night, watch MSNBC. Thursday and Friday, watch PBS and NBC, ABC, or CBS. Watch their news coverage. You will see ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNN, and MSNBC are fucking lockstep. With MSNBC being so far fucking out there, it makes Fox look not biased. And you'll see Fox is totally leaning right. You will see that because that's what I used to do. I'm an independent. I would go on the road and I just float channels. Every day, the left-leaning channels had the same fucking clickbait and the Fox was just like Daily Wire, Town Hall, Drudge Report at the time because Drudge was conservative. Now he's a liberal and his fucking click rate is in half because the left still fucking hates him for the Clinton era. Just do that experiment and come back and tell me Fox News is fucked up. Our entire media establishment is fucked up. So let's do some lighter fare. We have Freedom Tunes, A Tale of Two Leaders, and a 10-minute segment by BRC Hunter 7 Foundation about illnesses in vets. Today I'm joined by Vladimir Putin. Mr. Putin, what claim do you have on the territory in Ukraine which you've invaded? Our borders are a complicated and detailed issue. It all started in 862 when Russia celebrated the 1000th anniversary of its statehood. In 882, Yurok's successor, Prince Ulrich, came to Kiev and he ousted two brothers who once were members of his squad. So Russia developed its two powers, Kiev and Novgorod. Mr. President, what's your plan moving forward for the border? Border... Uh, the, uh, oh, um, the country south of the border is, uh, called, uh, uh, Egypt. We got, uh, Egypt, man. <laughs> I knew I could get that one, man. It evaded me. A peace treaty was signed. Under Catherine the Great, they regained Russian territory, but the Austrian staff pushed the idea of Ukrainian independence and national identity to weaken the country such that... All right, Mr. President, we have the southern border, and the country we share with it is called... I know you can get this. It's called... Oh, oh, the Garden of Sweden, man. Excuse me? <clears throat> Close, close. No, that's close, Joe. Okay. And after the revolution, the RSFSR started having conflict with Poland again. And peace with Poland was declared, but Western Ukraine was given to Poland. Poland had a treaty of friendship partitioning Czechoslovakia, so that... Try again, because we know you have this. We have a border. At the border. We got all those aliens pouring in from Egypt, man. The aliens are coming in from Egypt? Hmm. That doesn't sound right. Of course they are. Who'd you think built the pyramids? Some white guy named Edison? Crimea and Besebaria and parts of Hungary was given to the Ukrainian SSR due to the policy of indigenization. After USSR collapsed, all of the territory we kindly bestowed on the Ukrainian SSR was taken by the Ukrainian independent state. Okay, Joe, Mexico, Mexico! From the river to the sea, man. 
Oh, he's thinking foreign policy. That's good, that's good. Let's give him a softball. Uh, Mr. President, how do you respond to the accusation that our ally Israel is an apartheid state? Nah, Israel's not an apartment state, man. They own that place. An apartheid state. Nah, man, they're full-time. I-I-I don't think you understand. No! What you don't understand is that Israel's an apartheid state, man! Those... Uh, poor Mexicanians have been living under it for ages. Let my people go, fat. Is there anything more corrosive to our democracy than Putin's? Why are all these young, otherwise healthy people dying from cancer at ungodly rates? My daughter, my son was seven at the time. Uh, I'm like, shit, I'm never going to see them grow up. A 49-year-old shouldn't get prostate cancer. Why isn't the government doing what they're supposed to be doing? America is at war. I wasn't a studious academic person. Uh, my only choice was really to enlist in, in the military, and so I did. Uh, I enlisted as an E1 and worked my way up. I broke my back my second year in service. They said to me, your career's over in the military. Like, go, go get another job. And I was devastated. The first time I, I realized I had an actual family was with the military. And so for me to lose that was, was pretty difficult. I went to the VA and the provider said to me, and at the time I didn't understand what he meant, but he said to me, just because you're out of uniform does not mean you're done serving. I met my husband in 2014. We were sitting in a, a, his pickup truck, and it was in the winter, and I remember it very well. I remember exactly where we were. And he was telling me about his military service. I served in Iraq uh, for 15 months during 0708. And he said to me, Chelsea, a lot of my friends are dead. And I said, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound insensitive, but it's war. It happens. And he said, no, they didn't die in combat. And I was like, oh, was it suicide? And he said, no, they died from cancer. There's no research on it. There's no stories. Why, why are all these young, otherwise healthy people dying from cancer at ungodly rates? And so he told me about one man whose uh, name was Sergeant Major Robert Bowman. His call sign was Hunter 7. Explain to us a little bit more about the, the burn pits. How close were they to the service members? For Rob, his burn pit was less than a half a mile from where they slept at night, their sleeping quarters. Um, they were all in different places. Uh, some were small, some were big. And burning constantly? Burning constantly. We reached out to Rob's wife and I said, this is who I am. I want to honor your husband. I, I'm not sure how, but I want to honor your husband. And so we conducted the first study. It was a pilot study based on Iraq War veterans. And we looked at their symptomology pre, during, and post deployment to figure out the, the root cause and exposures. And it published uh, shortly after uh, internationally. And it was the first step in creating Hunter 7 solely to conduct research. And then once we realized there was a gap in education, when I went to civilian practice in the ER, I figured, okay, well, we can't just do the research, we have to educate as well. And then once we started really reaching out and talking to people, we couldn't believe the abundance of post-9-11 veterans diagnosed with cancer. So it became an immediate needs and medical support organization as well. I went into the military in 2003, joined the infantry. Uh, I joined the military because the towers went down, uh, like a lot of my friends. I can hear you! 
I was fully out, full-fledged civilian again in mid-2009. Started a career, got married, had a couple kids. Um, one day I, I was doing like, I had an exercise band. And I, I actually audibly heard a, like a crack in my back. And uh, I was like, it's oh, not good. I get an MRI later that week. We're pretty sure you have multiple myeloma. Um, never heard that word before in my life. Had no idea what it was. He's like, it is cancer. I wasn't the youngest patient that they ever had, but uh, close to it. It's a very uncommon cancer um, in, I mean, I was 38 at the time. My daughter at the time, she was five. My son was seven at the time. Uh, I'm like, shit, I'm never gonna see them grow up. The amount of toxic exposure that the GWAT veteran has experienced, I and mean, you can go back into the Vietnam days with Agent Orange, um, it's a real, real problem. Are they more at risk than the average population? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely more at risk just, just for the locations where they've been. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of people are scared too because they don't want to find out if they have anything. You know? And we need to break that. 2019, um, my PSA blood work came back positive, which was uh, in a six-month uh, change. So I went to the, um, the urologist and um, had a biopsy done and basically told me 10 out of the 15 samples they took had cancer. Early detection will save your life. 70% of post 9-11 veterans don't utilize the VA. They go to civilian care centers. And so for civilian nurses, only 4% are adequate and capable to provide veteran-centric care. So we have the most trusted profession that is only 4% to provide that care specifically tailored to veterans. That's terrifying. If we don't educate our providers on how to care for these veterans and their risk factors based on the research and the literature, how are they supposed to care for them? Out of the 426 post-9-11 veterans this year in 2023 that we were able to support, either financially with cancer, without cancer, 218 were at risk for cancer. And of those, 67 came back positive for early stage cancer. So that's 67 people that we were able to, to positively impact. And depending on the cancer, the survivability of you catching it that early is Over 90%. I was made aware of Hunter 7 Foundation through actually quite a few friends that were diagnosed with cancer and the Hunter 7 Foundation showed up uh, in real support for them through multiple different measures but uh, that, that's kind of how the Hunter 7 Foundation got on our map and Evan started working with them directly and I was fortunate enough to meet the organization and see the, the absolute amazing work that they're doing. We have massive support networks but also within other spouses and survivors, uh, whether their significant other is currently undergoing cancer. Uh, same thing for the kids. We make sure that we work our best to group those together. We had a veteran come through with stage four cancer. Uh, he wasn't being treated in a timely manner, and it was really weighing on his you know, physical health, his mental health. And we said, okay, well, if you can't get an appointment within the VA system for another six months, but you have stage four cancer, we will get you up to Dana-Farber Cancer Center in Boston tomorrow. Myeloma is a chronic disease. It's not a, like, if it comes back, it's a, it's, it's a when. You have to take charge of your own health. If it doesn't feel right, get it checked. So I don't know how bad it would have gotten if it would have spread. It could have spread to anywhere. So that's why I like, that's why I try to educate 
everybody that I, that I speak to about Hunter 7 and what they do. Recently we partnered with the UFC and through that our first thing that we did with them was bringing awareness to the Hunter 7 Foundation on the UFC mat. And uh, the UFC was so generous and kind to allow us to do that on Veterans Day and raise a significant amount of funds for the Hunter 7 Foundation. Man, I'm just so excited to have that opportunity and I think it's a start of a long, long relationship, not only with the UFC, but with the Hunter 7 Foundation because I truly, from my soul, believe in what they're doing. You know, this one right here, she wrote to me and she said, from everything I've learned from my husband's cancer journey and reviewing his medical records, evidence of his issue went undetected for years. He passed away from leukemia. My hope is that through this donation, she donated $10,000. My hope is through this donation and my husband's legacy of being the light, a few families can be spared the fate that my four children and I currently face. Early detection is, early detection is so very critical, especially for those so many cancers that have been dormant for years. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for the important work and research you are doing. So. Yes. Oh, thank you. Your mama, you're going to go with mama, you're going to see all the monster trucks today. Oh, oh my goodness. So we have that sounds like an awesome idea, but you gotta make sure you're on a good behavior and go give your mom a hug because she got the tickets for you. I know what you are. You're a great dad. Thank you. You're, and you're a great mom. <laughs> We're the ones that are paying for these funerals for a 33-year-old Army combat medic who died from a preventable brain cancer. You know, we're the ones that hug the family, the parents of a, of a young Marine, you know, veteran who died from a preventable cancer death, you know? And that's why at the end of the day, we're not here for the popular opinion. We're not here to make friends. I'm here to save lives. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share with your family and friends. Go to Flyover Politic with a K at SoundCloud. Email at foppodcast.gmail.com, F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com, foppodcast.gmail.com to contribute to the show or tell me I fucking suck. You can watch the video of this at 482-467 on Rumble. If you want to listen to the other one, old dude music review, it's on Flyover Politics with K on SoundCloud. You can watch the video at 553-2123. Our next podcast will be a old dude music review on the 23rd. Our next Flyover Politic will be the 24th. Until then, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the fucking yeah yes. Be present in your family and friends' life. Thank you for listening. See you next time.